why does the resurrection matter, okay? So check this out. Paul has been kind of laying out the arguments of the resurrection in the verses leading up to this, okay? So basically he laid out that there is a biblical authority that says that the resurrection happened in verses one through four. Then he lays out the physical evidence, okay? That's in verses five through 11. And then he lays out the logic of the resurrection in verses 12 through 34. So Paul has, has, has kind of summed up an argument so that this, the kind of the position that he's standing on is that now I, I kind of toss it to you. If you don't believe in the resurrection, I need you to do the work of explaining to me how it is not true right? I need you to come and bring rebuttal witnesses because I'm telling you right now that there are people who are still alive that, that saw Christ, okay? That there is a testimony that has been birthed of witnesses. And so he's been talking about why it is true. Today, he's going to talk about why it matters, okay? So he's laid out this case, why, why you should believe in the resurrection, and now he wants to talk to you about why it matters. So let's go here to verse 35. And Paul begins by saying, okay, so we've established that the resurrection is indeed a reality, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Okay, so it's true, but how does it happen? Paul, is, and, and I talk about this regularly, but Paul writes very strategically, okay? He's a strategic mind, and, and in that, what I mean is that he, he is establishing a, 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 an argument, and then he is going ahead and addressing questions that he thinks the reader uh, is going to ask. And, and he does this quite frequently. And so he's already hearing the arguments that'll come, right? Okay, okay, so, so there, there's a resurrection. I got it. Okay, tell me exactly what that's going to look like, right? Uh, okay, so, so why does Paul know that this question is going to be asked? The reason is, is that we are all very familiar with death. But resurrection is a mystery, okay? Death we're familiar with, resurrection we're not so familiar with. Um, we've all, at, on some level, uh, encountered death. I, I remember the very first time that I was with someone when they passed away. Um, it was a gentleman who had been an elder in the church that I had attended as a teenager. Uh, I was now on staff at that church, and he was in the hospital, and they expected that he would not make it, and I went to do a hospital visit and uh, just happened to be in the room in the moment that he drew his last breath, right? It's something that I'll never forget. Uh, I remember that the first time that somebody that I was ministering to, somebody that I had you know, been attempting to do life with, uh, that we got word had passed away. A young uh, girl who was in a relationship with a guy uh, she had no business being in a relationship with. Uh, he had been in prison for a number of years. He had gotten out, uh, involved with some people that sold drugs, and um, they found her shot and burned in the back of a pickup truck right? And that's heavy, right? I mean, that's a heavy thing to even hear about. And that was heavy in the moment for us. Uh, I remember the first funeral that I preached here at City Church, a young man who was 
caught up with some of the wrong people and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I, somebody shot him in the back, a teenager, taken too soon, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a familiarity when it comes to death, right? And it's something that we don't really want to sit around and talk about. We don't want to navigate. We don't want to be in that conversation. But we all get death. It's this idea of resurrection that's a lot more complicated for us because while we might be faced with death on a daily basis to some degree, we don't really feel like we're encountering resurrection. And, and, and naturally, this breeds hopelessness, right? There's a hopelessness that... that that births in the heart of humanity when it comes to life, right? Especially when you're separated from Christ, okay? At the end of the day, death is coming. And, and you have people that will spend their entire lives, right, trying to cheat death, trying to outpace death. You've got some of the richest people in the world that are, are sinking money into experiments and, and technology so that they can do what? They can extend life and ultimately even conquer death. Because why? Because there's a, there's a hopelessness that sets in us that, that we go, man, death is inevitable. It's an inevitability. And so we can say, okay, you want to tell me that resurrection is a thing, right? But I, I, I'm not getting my head around it. And Paul's response to the question is really hard. He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, right? And so the idea is that, for, for, for Paul, is that the reason that the resurrection, again, is supernatural or a miracle is because it's from God. It's not from us. But do we not understand that everything in life requires death, right? In order for anything to have life, there are things that have to die. And there is constantly this cycle of, of life happening around us. You know, uh, the initial thought that comes to mind is, you know, Mufasa uh, telling uh, Simba that, you know, there's this circle of life that is at work. And it's not a circle that is uh, 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 in the sense of like, I think ultimately the type of uh, nihilism that he was portraying there, but it's a circle in the sense that life and death are working hand in hand. Why? Because God conquered death. And so death now is subjected to him. So death is, a, is, a, is another part of the process by which God is at work. Um, this word foolish, when he calls them foolish here, this is to be senseless or inconsiderate or mindless. So what Paul is, is saying is, is like, like you've, you've got to be thinking, right? You've got to move outside of the emotions of, okay, death is not a great thing. You've got to move outside of those emotions and you've got to begin to, to, to listen to what the word of God is saying. And, and, and ultimately it's this, refusing to believe something is to consciously choose to believe something else, Right? And you might think to yourself, well, no, I'm not consciously believing something else, right? Well, you, you actually are. When you decide, I will not believe this anymore, you're drawing a line in the sand and you're standing on the side of an argument, right? And so you're saying, I don't believe this, so therefore I have to believe this. Even if the thing that you respond with, I don't know what I believe. Well, no, you do. You know that you believe that this is not the reality. And so Paul's arguments here are, are really around the idea that you want to call yourself a Christian. You want to call yourselves followers of Christ. Remember, this is, he is not in Athens talking to the group that's standing around the statue to the unknown God, right? 
Paul responds differently there. Paul says, oh, I see that you are very intelligent. Let me tell you about this God that you don't know the name of, right? That's to the unbeliever. But to the believer, the person that's showing up at church on Sunday, the person that is engaged in the Bible study, the person that calls themselves a Christian, he says, he says you need to get your head around this and you need to move beyond just like, fine, you say there's a resurrection, there's a resurrection. You need to be able to make the resurrection a part of who you are. Are. Look here in verse 37. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he, as, as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Ultimately, anthropology is shaped by the resurrection. Our study of, you know, of the past and of life here on earth, it is shaped by the resurrection. Why would I say that? Because there is a respect for the human body that is innate inside of us. Why? Because we believe there's something hardwired in us that the body matters, that, that this life matters. Jesus, think about this, did not discard his flesh and move on. When Jesus showed up right after the resurrection, he showed up in a physical body. There was a form to who he was. And so you have Timothy, right? Uh, and I mean, you have Thomas, who's the doubter, right? You kind of hear the story. And, and, and what does he do? He's able to put his, his, his hands into the holes, right, where the nails had been, right? This, the idea is that there was a physical body that was there. So, so the idea of how we view the body, that's, it's inside of us, right? And I, I want to argue that even the study of these things is impacted, like we talked about last week. It all goes back to God's word, right? Even if we look at sources that are anti-God, they're basing their arguments off of God's word. God's word is establishing the truth of all things at all times. I just love this idea. I've been thinking about it now for a couple of weeks. And that's the same here with the resurrection. The idea that the body matters and that the body is a part of God's plan, it is, it is interlaced into the way that we do science, the way that we do life. And this speaks to the value and dignity each of us unprovoked have for life. Why do I say unprovoked? Well, it, let me tell you something. When you remove what I call propaganda, mob rule, mob mentality, you find that people on their own accord value life tremendously, right? You can get a crowd together and you can get a group of people who can, can begin to be told that life doesn't matter and they'll begin to believe that. But on their, of their own, civilizations rise up valuing life. It's innate inside of us. And this is why, like for me, I believe that life is important from the moment of conception. And, and you know, for me, I'm going to always take the stand that, uh, uh, that abortion is sin, that God created life. He intends life. God forgives. If you have walked through a decision like that, let me tell you something. We serve a God filled with grace. Grace is an active work in our lives. Make no mistake, right? But just because God forgives doesn't mean that we have to then be silent, okay? And I, I make arguments like David talking about how Jesus formed him in his mother's womb, right? I mean, that God f formed him in his mother's womb or that when uh, 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 Mary comes into the pre uh, presence of her cousin, right? And the baby John the Baptist leaps inside of the womb, right? The scripture says, why there's an awareness to the spirit of God that's taking place even in the womb. We value life. Unprovoked, we value life. 
We have a hard time when life is taken. So at the end of the day, God could have come in another form or he could have skipped over the form of the body entirely, but he did not. God came in the flesh, right? This is, this is why the resurrection matters so much because, because Jesus was God in the flesh. The body is a part of the plan. And this tells us human life is worth being honored. Look at this. He says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen. Why? God chose this form. He chose this unity of spirit and body. Uh, what is this word chosen? This is willed, wished, desired. That means that God was sitting around and thought, I really like what I've created. We're going to keep doing this. It was God's decision. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So what does Paul do here? Paul, he jumps into uh, some language that we'll be familiar with from the creation story, right? Go back to Genesis. So he talks about the, the flesh that is given, right? To, to humans, and then there's a different kind for animals, there's a different kind for birds, but they're not the only ones with bodies. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from stars in glory. So the glory of the human body is different from heavenly and earthly bodies, right? We identify God created these things. He gave them physical form. That's the idea here. There's a physical manifested form for them. And so we can look at the heavenly bodies and we can say they're incredible. They're, I mean, they're beyond our understanding currently, right? Okay. But there is a different glory there than there is when we look at the physical body of humanity, right? And so this is why I, I wanna continue down this thread. I wanna say that we can't just walk past a dead body, right? There's something about the body and about life that just is inside of us. And so if we walk into the room and we see a lifeless body, we don't ignore that, right? Immediately, like most of us are gonna run and try to check for a pulse, see if there's anything we can do. Uh, and then we're gonna call for help, right? Whether that looks like calling 911 or if we believe there's somebody around that's able to help or offer services quicker, we're going to respond. It's a natural thing and, and we're amazed when we find out that there are people that will just walk by, right? I mean, like it blows my mind when I see a video of somebody on the side of the road suffering and hurting and you see people just stepping over them, not wanting to navigate the situation. Why? Because it's just hardwired inside of me to care. It's just hardwired inside of me to think that, man, the body and the spirit matter. They matter to God. They matter to me. Remove God. And I still cannot understand how somebody who would say, I don't believe in God, can just ignore somebody else who is suffering. And we think that somebody who can do that, right, is sick. We think that somebody that can just step over a dead body, ignore a suffering person, that something's not right there, right? When I, when I hear about, uh, uh, see, this, this could be a little spicy for a moment, but when we hear about political leaders, right, um, and we find out that maybe they've gotten sick, okay, perhaps COVID, 
like, like I can't comprehend the type of person that writes in the comment thread, good, I hope they die from it. Like, like that just doesn't make sense. Like, like what have you been through? What wiring has gone on inside of you that you would look at this human life and go, well, I hope this person just dies, right? I mean, that, there, there's a lot. That's not an innately natural, like that's not, that's not something that's wired inside of me just to hate somebody like that. Like it births from a place. And, and Paul's been addressing this thing. It's like, like you need to be tapping into this understanding that life matters, that God cares about the body and that the resurrection is a reality and it is a part, it is fundamental to the faith. Fundamental to the faith. I tell you, just during worship this morning, I got a text message uh, from, uh, from somebody that uh, a, a pastor uh, who, in a lot of ways, I, you know, uh, I feel like d- did a lot of harm to my family um, uh, years and years ago. Um, is very sick right now. And, you know, immediately I started praying for healing. And I was thinking about this message and I was thinking to myself like, like, like that the natural thing that I want as a child of God is to not think in terms of, you know, friend and enemy and foe. And I wanna think in terms of, you know, by the grace of God, we're all gonna be there in eternity, right? Mistakes get made, right? You know, and, and uh, I'll just separate and say this on a side note. Like, people talk about church hurt like it is like, like, like some unique thing to them and that they'll just never get over it. But I just want to tell you, like, like the, the church is going to make mistakes. Leaders are going to make mistakes. And can I tell you something? God must be okay with it or he wouldn't have put mankind in charge of it, right? Because it, 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 if, if he wasn't going to be okay with mistakes being made— right? He, he would have never called people like me to the platform because I'm going to make mistakes. That's just a reality. What I hope to do is do life and community with people who will come and say, hey, I didn't appreciate that. I don't like that or that hurt me. And then we love each other. We hug each other and we move on because we know each other's hearts. Unfortunately, that's just not how most people react, right? It's, it's, it's wishful thinking at times, right? What but at the end of the day, what, what do we want? What do we want? We want people to experience healing in life as God intended. And this response, I believe, is a part of how we are made. And I think that this is the, this is the place that Paul is arguing from. And, and he's saying, like, like, you need to be thinking about this. Like, you already know the body matters. Why are you getting all hung up inside of this, right? I'm, I've established the argument for you. And as children of God, you need to begin to declare it. Verse 42, so, it is, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Going back to the miraculous of it here, like, yeah, at the end of the day, the things that you've invested unto death, they, they're, they're, not, they're not good enough for resurrection, right? Okay, so, the, right? so what is sown is perishable. The, the investments that we make, they, they, are, they, are, they fall short. But the thing that he resurrects is imperishable. 
right? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so the resurrected body, just like the current physical body, is unique in its glory. It will be a unique creation, unique in its glory. Just like he says, the humans and the birds and the fish and the heavens, they're unique in their glory. This body will be a different body. So yes, the body, the physical body absolutely matters, but there will be something that is different about it. The thing that is raised up, the body that the spirit is tethered to, it will be different than the body that you have today. So in terms of being resurrected just to die again, that is not the resurrection that he is talking about. So thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and is and as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have, be, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is, this is what Paul's argument here is, is that when we are born in this physical body, we are under the headship of Adam, and we inherit death, right? Okay, but under Christ, we are, well, in Christ, we are under the headship of Jesus, and therefore, we inherit resurrection, and this is why it was so important, listen to what I'm going to say, it's so important that Jesus was born a virgin, from a virgin, right? He was born a virgin too, in case you were like, no, that's not true. It's absolutely true what I said. He was born a virgin, and he was born from a virgin. Truth, nothing but facts here, people. Jesus was born of a virgin. Why does that matter? Because Jesus was not born under the headship of Adam. The mantle of the Father was the mantle that he received from the heavenly Father, and this is what enabled him to conquer death, hell, and the grave. He lived a sinless life, but he was not bound to the inheritance of Adam. He was bound to a new inheritance. And, and man, think about how powerful this is, that as followers of Christ, we are able to move from the headship of Adam to the headship of Jesus. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Right? We cannot do this. We can't of our own accord do this. And this is why it was so important for him to be born of a virgin. Because Jesus, at the end of the day, was not underneath the headship of Adam. Jesus was exempt from the headship of Adam. He was able to take on death and position himself to take on our sin, which allows us to move from Adam's headship to Jesus' headship. And Paul goes on here and he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? What is the mystery in that? Well, we have this inheritance of death, but that inheritance is going to be interrupted for some. 
Because when Jesus returns, that second coming, there will be people who are alive here on earth and they will not experience death in the same way that those that have come before us have experienced death. Now, they will all have experienced the taste of it, the encounter of it. They will all know those who have died, but there will be some who will not, in this language, fall asleep, but everybody will be changed. And so the resurrection that takes place is not contingent on your death, it is contingent on the headship of Christ. It is Jesus that's doing the resurrecting work inside of us, right? So yes, many, most will experience death. And then we see this as like this prerequisite to resurrection. But Paul says, look, here's the mystery of it all. Like it doesn't even require you to physically die to be able to encounter and experience resurrection. And so the resurrection matters because one day he will return to judge the living and the dead and gather unto him his own. Jesus is returning. My prayer is that he returns soon, right? When I was a kid, I used to hear pastors say that, man, you know, Lord, we pray that you would return soon. And I used to think to myself, no, I don't want him to return soon, right? Now that I've lived a little bit and I've seen the chaos of the world, I, I get why so many pastors were like, Jesus returns soon, Right? I get why in Revelation it talks about those that are sitting there saying, how much longer, right? How much longer can you do this? And, and the will of God says just a little bit longer. And we understand that the will of God is that just a few more would come to know him. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What does perishable mean? Let's just look at a few of these words here, right? Perishable, that is corruptible, decayed, okay? He says that the perishable must put on the imperishable. Imperishable is genuine, unending existence, okay? So the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal body, mortal, subject to death, liable to death, right? Okay, so your mortal body has a debt to be paid and until that debt is wiped out, death is on the table, so you have mortality and this mortal body must put on immortality. Immortality is freedom from death. Now, I want to show you guys something kind of cool here if you are into any type of comic book nerdum like me and maybe just from a peripheral. Look at this. So in the Greek, this word athanasian, athanasian, I'm not sure how you exactly pronounce that, but it, I was looking at it and I was like, that's kind of interesting, right? Um, uh, that we're talking about death, right? And we're talking uh, about immortality. And in the middle of there is this word thana, and it made me think of Thanos. Uh, and I thought to myself, I wonder if there's any correlation, and there is. So immortality that it talks about here is anti-Thanos because Thanos is the verb of death. And so, you know, you watch these movies, right? And I'm sure somebody who was creating this knew what they were talking about, but in the Greek, the word Thanos is this, it's not death as in something that is like, it's here. It is the act of dying. And so the villain in the series is the bringer of death from the very beginning, right? Right? And so there is a picture of one who comes who is the real hero of the story. And what does, what does he do? Jesus is the 
anti-Thanos. And he's bringing life. So everyone everywhere is now or will soon be asking the question, how do I defeat death? How do I come to grips with death, right? Like this is something that, that if you're not now, at some point you will soon be having to face this idea because why? Death is on the table. And it's only when they resolve that they cannot win do they accept defeat. People begin to go, look, I can't beat death. I, 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 don't, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm okay with it. And they begin to say what? Well, I'll, I'll accept it. I'm ready to die. Unless, unless, verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So, yes, you face death in this hopeless battle, knowing that you are going to lose unless you have come to the headship of Christ because it is at that point as a believer that you understand death is overcome. The reason that the resurrection is so important for the Christian and the reason that it should be a part of our language and a part of the gospel presentation, the good news, is because death is defeated. The very enemy that everyone on this planet has to face and will be destroyed by is ultimately overcome, overwhelmed, destroyed, and his name is Jesus. Jesus shows up and he does this. And so Paul continues with this incredible language, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So he says, sin and death have been dealt with by the righteous life of Christ. So we now, as followers of Christ, are under the headship of Christ. We are no longer under the headship of Adam. And so by the same means of dust did a man come up and one that did not live the life that he was intended to live and one that did. And this is not to put some slam on Adam because by acknowledging that, that, that this happened, Adam too is able to receive the transfer of headship. He is able to abandon his own kingdom and come into the kingdom of Jesus. Why? Well, remember that uh, Jesus said that, and, and, and he talks about this in Mark, and he says, I came to preach the good news, right? And the good news being this is our story, our testimony, but it's also what? The resurrection. And so some people today go, well, he hadn't died yet and he hadn't resurrected. And so, you know, uh, the gospel just cannot be the resurrection. And this is, this, is, this is quite literally an argument that I see more and more happening inside of church circles going, well, Jesus said this, so we've gotten it all wrong. And, and what this does in this deconstruction idea is that because we take this, these two pieces of logic and we emit values to the equation. We only take these two pieces. So logically we go, well, it can't be the resurrection. And so therefore, everything the church has taught was wrong. And now I become the, the, the beacon of light to redesign and re-instruct uh, uh, what the Bible actually says. You tracking with me? They say, well, I, I, it can't be this way. So the church has taught it wrong. They've been wrong for 2,000 years, but thank God I'm on the scene because I'll tell you what God was really saying. All right? All right? I don't know. There's probably some level of narcissism inside of that, you know? 
it, it's fascinating, right? Because I, I hear of, uh, of students in school being asked to do uh, reports and they're, they're told, look, you can't use this set of data. We want you to write the report, but you can't use this set of data. We don't want you pulling sources from this book. Don't pull, you know, these facts in. Or, or specifically, here's a book. We want you to write a report based on this argument only using this book, right? And, and, and when we approach things that way and we're not open to the entire data set that's available, we can very easily skew it to mean what we want it to mean. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of manipulation. And, and that's what happens to so many, I, I would say, probably genuine-hearted Christians is they're not willing to look at the entirety of Scripture. Either that comes out of laziness or out of the fact that they think to themselves, emotionally, I wouldn't do it this way, so surely God wouldn't do it this way. Right? This doesn't make me feel good, so why would God do it this way? Right? And that's a, that's, a, that's a really flawed position to be in, right? Because, the, I, you know, I use the illustration all the time of yanking uh, a child out of the middle of the road and the child being like, well, this is the best place to play kickball or the best place to play basketball. And, and they think to themselves, like, you're just a mean person. But the reality is, you know, there's an 18-wheeler ba- barreling down the road and you really were saving them. So from an emotional standpoint, you can go, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And God, from a creation standpoint, seeing the entire picture says, this is the best way, right? And this is part of that submission that as Christians coming under the headship of Christ, we have to be positioned for, right? So, so, so circle this back in, right? And you have death sitting here in front of us. Jesus has conquered death, right? And Paul is using this language here. He says, he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And, and the sting this is the point of death. The sting is that moment where death seems to have the victory. Where death is that transition from the life we know that we're, under, that we're, that we're comfortable with, that we're familiar with, into that position of the unknown. And what Paul says is, where is that sting in the resurrection? Why? 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 It no longer has the weight and the power that it once had. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another little interesting uh, tidbit here under victory, right? Nikos, conquest, triumph, and that Nikos, that victory, is where the word Nike comes from, right? Okay, so, so the idea of victory, what does he say? He says that thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, who? through the resurrection, through the headship of Christ. Resurrection in us, right, goes beyond what we're capable of, and, it, and, and the victory, the defeating of the sting of death happens because of Jesus's victory. And he ends here with this verse, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, you, your labor is not in vain. 
and I'm going to take up just a few more moments here, and I want us to, to look at this, the, the summation of all of this resurrection conversation. He, he's laid out the argument, and he's now, he said, look, I, I believe it's factual. I, I've laid out an argument for you on why it is. Now I'm coming and telling you about why it matters. It matters because it removes you from this position of having to face death as if it is the enemy that defeats you to now it is already defeated. You know, it, it has already been put in its place. So now you have the victory. You can walk in victory. You can live in victory. You don't have to live in fear. And watch what he says. And he says here, he says that, he says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is your labor? Well, this is not this picture of you just getting up and going to work, okay? Now, labor here, work, it is to toil, to, to act. So what is the work? It's the work of the gospel. So from chapter 14, Paul's laying out the argument that the gospel looks like this. There is resurrection power, that Jesus is resurrected. He's no longer dead. There is a cloud of witnesses, right, that, are, that have established this, and they are doing what? They are declaring that it has happened. People have interacted with him. Paul says, I've interacted with him, and let me tell you what he continues to do. And the gospel looks like this, and the gospel is active and at work inside of us, and the gospel's power is anchored inside of the resurrection. And in case you're sitting here going, I don't know what the resurrection looks like, and if it's real, I want to lay out an argument for why the resurrection is a reality and why you need to be holding on to it, because death is defeated and you have victory. And so what is the work? The work is that of the gospel. Remember here in verse 32 last week, he said, what do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What is the work? The work is going to the, to the crazy mob that's looking at you and saying, we want nothing to do with Jesus, right? They, want to, they wanted to kill him. He, he compares these people in Ephesus to being wild beasts, okay? Why? Because he was tapping into uh, their, their revenue stream because as people come to know Jesus, they don't need their idols anymore. So there are some people that aren't going to make the money that they used to make, and they're, they're getting the crowd riled up. And Paul says, man, it would have just been easier for me, right, to have just said, yo, you're right. Let's, let's go out and have a bite to eat. We don't need to talk about this anymore, right? No, but, but this is the work. This is the work. And did Paul find success in this? Not really, not in that moment. So will we always be successful? No. Will we always be effective? No. Right? Not every time that we are out there sharing the gospel and doing the work and investing in the lives of people around us, will we see the fruit that we were hoping to see? It may not always happen. It may not happen in the way that we want it to happen. You say, well, you know, Pastor Jim, I thought that, you know, it's, it's always going to, you know, God uses all things for good. He does use all things for good, right? But the victory is not contingent on your personal experience. The victory is an eternal victory, right? And so I may plant a church and be a pastor and pastor 100 people. And the guy down the road may plant a church and they may have 10,000 people, Right? 
And from an earthly perspective, it might be like, wow, well, we're just not as effective. We just aren't doing as good. I, I just need to close the doors. But the Holy Spirit's at work, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to the pastor over here saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing something in this place. I'm going to make sure that this keeps going. That doesn't mean that he's not doing something in the bigger place. It just means that he's also doing something in the other place. And so he's at work. And, 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 and do you experience the same overflows? Maybe not. But it's never in vain. And I think through to those people that have died in my life, the moments that I've stood there in the presence of someone dying or the family that just lost a loved one, and it's in that moment that that in death, the work makes sense. That it may have just been the gospel presentation that made all the difference in the final moments. It's never in vain. It is never in vain. It may not always see the fruit you want to see, but it's never in vain. And it will never be in vain. And so why does the resurrection matter? Look here in Romans chapter 5, my final thoughts. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, this is under the headship of Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is under the headship of Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, this is why we can talk about we can talk about sin and we can be honest from right here in the platform and say, hey, scripture says that this is sin. Grace abounds all the more. Grace is at work. He rescues and redeems. It doesn't matter the depths of despair that you might be in. Victory can be yours, right? As sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reality here, this is, the, this is why resurrection matter, should matter so much to us. It is exclusively through Jesus Christ. The resurrection that we are talking about, the life that we are talking about, is a life that happens through Jesus Christ. It does not happen through any other form of faith, religion, or, or worldview, Gnosticism, nihilism, you name all of them, you can buy into any of them. At the end of the day, the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the one that has the witnesses walking around telling the story, that resurrection only happens through faith in Christ. And he goes here in verse six and watch this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, because that's, that's the logic. Right? Oh, man, so you're telling me that the more sin there is, then the more grace abounds? Then we should be out there sinning so we can make God famous. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When you make the transfer from the headship of Adam to the headship of Jesus, you are making a, you are making a change in the way that you do life. That means that you no longer okay, are okay with sin. It doesn't mean that there's like all of a sudden like your nature is gone, right? That's the reason that we have a new body and a new glory because there is a physical nature that we're going to wrestle with. But we don't justify it. 
And this is the maddening thing for me right now as a pastor in our current culture uh, where we live is that there is just so much justification for sin. The scripture says that this is a wrong way to do life. And there are people who are saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I think God's perfectly fine with it. It's not a big thing. And yet, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And then the next argument that comes out is, well, is it really sin? right? Well, if I can't be justified in my sin, then I'll make my sin a way of righteous living. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So, beautiful picture here. When you're baptized, right, you're being, you're, you are symbolically, allow, you're creating the imagery of being, of, of stepping into death as Christ did, And when you come out of the water, you are stepping into life as Christ did. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. When does the resurrection begin? The resurrection begins right here, right now. Right here, right now, this word life, we talk about this a lot at the church, right? This is, uh, this is that Zoe life, right? And this is, a, the, the, this is telling us that um, the Zoe life is the life is, as the way that God intended. But very specifically, there are attributes to this life that are not, they're not able to be separated. So life as the way that God intended it, both physical and spiritual, So we step into this Zoe life, and it is a life that is both physical and spiritual. The resurrection power is to bring us into life as God intended, and that is to live both in a physical and a spiritual reality. So the resurrection is a picture of the life we get to live right now, and the resurrection life is mine to have right now. It's mine to have. I get to claim resurrection now. I, I like to say it this way, you know, my whole life, people would say, you need, you know, you, if your pastors would say, you know, if you were to die in a fiery car crash on your way home, to, car, car crash on your way home today, would you, would you go to heaven, right? And if you don't think you'd go to heaven, you need to run to the altars and repent. And, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, doesn't work. For, I mean, I got saved like 20 times, right? So, so I think it, it works to some degree, right? But the reality is when we begin to understand the scriptures, right? Becoming a Christian isn't a great way to die. It's a great way to live, right? Resurrection power isn't about the physical death. It's about the spiritual life. Resurrection power is about the transfer of headship from Adam to Jesus. It begins here. It begins now. I'm not the same. I'm a different person. Watch how, how, watch the interaction between Martha and Jesus, right? Right? Uh, Martha's brother has died and you know she comes in crying with these these kind of you know what ifs you know you know only if you had been here Jesus I know you could have done something because you're Jesus you know Jesus I've seen you do stuff I, 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 I just know Jesus that you're capable I know that you're powerful right and, and watch what Jesus doesn't do Jesus doesn't respond going you know let me tell you about the in the future miracle that's going to come. Let me tell you about the resurrection that you will experience, right? Let me, let me tell you that if you had been alive at a different time miracle, right? Or the if I had been here yesterday miracle. 
Jesus' response is not about the things that are to come or the things that have been. No, John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This undoes the argument. Jesus talking about the gospel presentation is not because the resurrection was something that was dependent exclusively upon his death. No, Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus has always been the resurrection. He has always been the one that we would be able to be under and protected and the one that would be able to raise us up. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And you know what happens. Lazarus, come forth that he might, he might have stunk, his body decay. Everyone's confused. Lazarus, come forth. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. And our faith in Jesus is faith in the resurrection, and they are not able to be separated. You cannot say, I am a Christian, but no. You, we tell our kids all the time that when you, when you do that in conversation, you're undoing the thing that you led with, right? I'm sorry, but blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not really sorry, right? You know, I want to say thank you, but well, you're not really thankful. Uh, I love you, but well, you don't really love them, right? And you might go, well, that's really harsh. No, we want our kids to understand the power of the tongue, and I don't want them to live in a life where they think that two alternate opposing realities can both somehow live in harmony. It's not a, it's, that's not reality anymore. And Jesus is the resurrection. And because I am a follower of Christ, I am a follower of the resurrection. And I have hope in an eternity that goes far beyond this life. And that resurrection power is not something that is yet to be attained, but it is something that is living and present right here in my life. And it's okay for you to like that and be excited about it. I'm serious. And so I preach the gospel because one day death is coming. But Jesus is the resurrection, and the resurrection drives me to preach the gospel. And so the work that will never be in vain is the work of declaring Jesus the resurrection. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus, the resurrection. Paul addresses all these broken lifestyle choices in this letter. He's talking to them about the way that they justify sin and that they do life and, and, and how they should love each other differently. And then he kind of just navigates right into this conversation where he talks about the importance of the gospel and the gospel and the resurrection, they're inseparable. And this is, this is the work, is the gospel work, and it's the work of me telling my story and, and the story of Jesus' work in my life. And I got to tell you, I want to I just, just put this out there for you. For if you're a believer in this place, it is much more than just being a good person. The gospel, it's, it is work. And so the question that has to be asked is, who are you sharing the gospel with? How are you presenting the truth? 
are you are you in a place of just complacency and, and comfort where it's like, well, I just do life and I don't want to interact with people because they're going to get angry. Paul says, man, they acted like beasts in front of me, but it wasn't in vain. You're right. You are right. There will be some illogical arguments that get thrown at you. There will be every ism in the book thrown at you. It's, it's, it's inevitable in this culture, but the reality is it won't be in vain because Jesus is the resurrection, and the resurrection is here now with us. As we close, I want to say this. If you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, we want to invite you to know Jesus as Lord of your life. If you know Jesus as Lord of your life, right, then why continue living in sin? Under the headship of Christ, experience resurrection power, experience a new way of living. I had this conversation with my kids on the way into church this morning. And it is this, it is that there are all of these people making all these claims about how you can and how you should and shouldn't be able to live life and still call yourself a Christian. And I said, if we will just pause and look at the fruit of those lives, we will see where the life is, where the resurrection is. And that means that we've got to, we may have to wait a moment, but when we can look at somebody in their 50s or their 60s and we can see what God is doing through their family based on the way that they're living their lives, we can begin to say, man, they need, this family needs some resurrection power. This family has the resurrection inside of it. And there's hope. It doesn't matter where you're at, what season of life you're in. Resurrection is powerful. And Jesus can do an incredible work in the lives of people that love him. I believe this. I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to believe it and confess it and do the hard work. It might mean, it might mean being uncomfortable some, sometimes even talking with our kids about the gospel. You know what I'm saying? But the gospel work is not one that's in vain. It will not be in vain. It might not be comfortable. You might not like what it is that they're saying, but it will not be in vain will not be in vain. If you need prayer, our prayer ministry teams are going to be in the back. We want to connect with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that today that we would, that we would get this in our hearts, that the, that, that the conversation of the resurrection, the gospel presentation is not a work that is in vain, that it is a waste of our time, but that it always bears fruit, that it always advances the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, I pray that we would be emboldened knowing that we're under your headship, that you are our defender, our protector, you are our Lord. And that the authority that we walk in is an authority that cannot be overthrown. Death is defeated. The grave is defeated. Sin is defeated. Jesus is king. And we declare these things in your mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, I love you guys. Be encouraged. Don't, don't just walk out of here thinking, man, I, there's so many things in my life that just aren't going the way I want them to. The gospel work is not in vain. Continue to do the gospel work. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. As always, go change your world.